Hello and welcome to the podcast where we shine a light on the complexities and challenges surrounding the importance of human behaviour on cybersecurity and compliance. That's right, we're talking about people being at the centre of information security and data protection and the challenges of engaging users to create change in their behaviour. This is Beyond the Firewall. Thank you for joining us, where today we're going to be focusing in on financial services. My name's David McClelland, and joining us here today are MetaCompliance CEO and author of Cybersecurity for Dummies, Robbie O'Brien. Hello, Robbie. Hi, David. Listen, really interested to talk about financial services. Lots of things happening there. Lots of uh, threats from a financial cyber side of things. It's great to be talking to Nira again. Well, you've, you've kind of let the cat out of the bag as to who our next guest is <laughs> already, Robbie. We're only 20 seconds into Too it. Easy, so, yes. uh, well, <laughs> I will I will formally introduce her and say, and today's special guest, international speaker, independent advisor on all things related to payments and payment security shock horror, it's Nira Jones. Hello, Nira. Hello, David, and a happy new year to you. I'm delighted to be here. Delighted that, that you're able to join us today. Now, I would like to know, I'm sure our audience would like to know as well, a little bit more about you and your work. Who are you if our audience hasn't come across you before? Well, I've been in financial services all of my career, many, many more years than I, than I care to uh, to remember. I'm now a, an independent advisor and I've been so since the beginning of 2014. And my last corporate job was as Director of Payment Security and Fraud for Barclay card. So that was great fun. Ah, terrific stuff. Well, thank you again for joining us today. Obviously, I'm British. Robbie, you, you, you're you British as well. Don't normally like to talk about money, but yes. I guess we're going to be doing a fair bit of that today. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> now, you know, financial services, it, it's a sector that as consumers, as, as users, I guess, for want of a better term, we all interact with it pretty much every day. We buy, we sell, we transfer, we save, we spend, spend, spend. These are all fundamental units of our everyday lives. And for the vast majority of those activities nowadays, they happen in an instant, despite the fact there are many different moving parties, lot, well, many different parties, moving parts, companies all involved in any transaction. Frankly, it's like magic. And Nera, you know more about that than any of us. But Robbie, I want you to kick us off here. Clearly, you know, talk about the way that we engage with financial services. Now, how have you seen the financial services landscape, the sector change? Well, let's start at the the vast majority of most cybersecurity incidents is about theft and fraud. It's really about money. And even the ones that pretend to have loftier objectives, it's at the end of it, they're trying to get money or they're trying to leverage a position which results in, in, in some sort of financial advantage, which means that the cybersecurity industry is under enormous threat and challenge. At the same time where you have, oh my God, just incredible digital transformation, all these new entrants into the the marketplace, you have the incumbents trying to deal with the move away from physical premises, the old bricks and mortar banks, to this new digital mobile world that we all deal with. And then you have the economy, which is 
you know, we have inflation coming back again. You have people working from home, not actually physically being party to branches. And in the midst of all that is big gaps for cyber security actors to exploit that situation. And then you have us, the, the, the citizens, the users, I suppose, still operating like banks and financial services are all the same. And they always operated for the last 15, 20, 30 years, where in actual fact, a lot of things have changed. And there's a level of support and interface that you have with your traditional uh, banks. And then you have a level of support that you get with these new up and coming banks. And they're, and they're really not the same. And again, cybersecurity actors know all about this and they, they exploit it. So it's, it's a really innovative space, but it's a really, really hard space to educate people on um, mm. because it's so big, so many moving parts and people think they, they know it. They, they already, oh, I've been using banking for years, but things have changed. And you talk about transformation within the industry and obviously financial services long established, particularly in the UK, but in many other markets as well. But then there's also disruption. You mentioned challenger banks there, but also other forms, alternative finance, decentralised finance as well, cryptocurrencies. These are all, you know, whether you see it as a real currency or not, people are spending and losing hard, cold cash interacting with these digital currencies. And because it is unregulated, it's all very new. I think that's creating an opportunity for fraudsters as well, isn't it? Huge. And, and you know, we all want a bargain. We all want a better way to do things. And, and as the, the monopolies are changing, there's lots of, of new things that we're trying out, but at the same time can be mimicked. I, I recently went to Dubai and wanted to pay the bank in DRAMs in, in, in the local currency. So I have my Revolut card. I can change Sterling to AED. And hey, presto, I can start paying in the local without going near a bank. But because I give my details away, the next thing is I get a spear phishing attempt, somebody looking for me to actually pay for something. And so I'm operating in a brand new jurisdiction. The rules are different. The dynamics are different. And so with this new benefits comes a brand new threat landscape. Now, I, I, I saw it for what it was and, and, and dismissed it. Interestingly, went on to the hotel's website and guess what? There's a big page on phishing as in here's what to do. So they know about it. It's a common thing. There's nothing they can do about it. This is the world we live in. So I actually thought that was a salutary lesson in, you know, being at the bleeding edge of these these changes. So yeah. I think you have to be careful. Nira, you know, we've been talking about how the landscape has evolved, how about how financial services has evolved. And we've touched on the way in which criminals are looking to take advantage of that. What have you seen? Have you seen the cyber risks evolve as the industry has? Uh, not only cyber risk evolve, but also to to add to the points that uh, Robbie excellently put, as a result of uh, what Robbie just said, we've also been under massively increased regulatory pressure. Mm -hmm. And basically to safeguard the, the various ecosystems. Uh, and we've seen major failures, not only in the fraud and cybercrime space, but also in the financial crime space. So lots and lots of um, 
of regulation. So one thing I would say, it's have I seen cyber risks evolve? Yes, definitely there's more, more risk there. They're evolving, but it's also a case of more of the same. So the only thing that has changed is in fact the technology and the processes. So we're all in information security here and uh, and payments in particular for, for today. And we've always talked about people, processes and technology. We've talked about innovation earlier on. That's a double-edged sword because innovation is there. It's beneficial. It's great. But criminals innovate too. So criminals don't stop. Criminals will use technology. Criminals will study processes. And I was glad um, Robbie mentioned phishing earlier on. Uh, and there's lots of regulation around that. And I'm sure you've seen the massive headlines about authorized push payment fraud because it's obviously follow the money, try to insert mm-hmm. themselves in the various day-to-day processes that uh, that people are used to. And, and if you're not aware as Robbie was for the phishing attack, then it's very, very easy to to fall for it. And what the last two years have exacerbated, it's this massive surge of first-time digital users because they were forced into it. So you have first-time digital users that are not familiar with all these things and uh, we think them perfectly genuine and, and, and hence we've seen a massive increase in fraud and cybercrime. But are there new tricks? Not necessarily, just a variant on, on what was there before and, uh, and with the added uh, technology innovation. And also, I can't stress enough, getting around the processes. Because even if the regulators are trying to help and say, okay, we're going to put something in place to curb authorized push payment fraud, for example, and uh, in the form of something that is called confirmation of payee. So before you get the phishing email and say, oh, I've changed my account, you know, please send the money to this particular account if you want to put a house deposit or holiday deposit or whatever it is you want to do. And in the previous incarnation of of those particular payment rails, only the sort code and the bank account number is checked. Now with confirmation of pay, you can also check the name. So suddenly you should see a massive decrease in that type of fraud. But fraudsters are very innovative. It took them a very short amount of time to realize that what was happening. And then they would email their victims or contact their victims and say, you will receive a message that say, it's a different name. Please don't worry about it. It's a glitch in the system. And that's pure, typical, basic social engineering. Yep, yeah, technology is being put in place to protect us but, and processes, but social engineering is being used to work around that technology and of course you know these criminals are are professionals it's their job not only to be smart and keep up with you know those of us who would have everyone be nice and safe but to be ahead of the game so that they've got an advantage of time before you know like a zero day exploit you know until Absolutely. somebody's able to identify where that loophole is and uh, you know close it down and the second element uh, as well is that because we've all been forced into this sort of a semi-confinement, we've actually extended the the corporate attack surface to your home. And if you're a very large organization, you probably have the means and ways to make that relatively secure and put the processes and the technologies in, in place to be as safe as you can be to mitigate that kind of risk. But we've had 
collaboration tools. I've been speaking to people on my screen for the last two years using Google Docs, and I'm sure you've seen the news about Google Docs last week and the authentication flaws and all sorts of other things that were happening. So we've now extended the attack surface and uh, and I read an article not so long ago that actually uh, had a very nice phrase for it. They called it the communications attack surface. We didn't have that before. We didn't have that before because we didn't have so much Zoom, so much Teams, so much Google sharing, so much of all of the cloud-based mm -hmm. tools that we now use. Then you're now in front of your screen and you're there. And, uh, and if it's not easy for you to remain secure, if you don't know, then you're going to be in a lot of hot water, I think. <laughs> yes. Yeah, this this gap, you know, often we call it shadow IT, don't we, where people start to use their own non-corporate mandated tools, often cloud services these days, to try and work around whatever challenge they're, that they're facing and moving a file from one system to another, sharing a document with another user. And it's the availability of these cloud services, I guess, that enlarges that attack surface, isn't it? Yeah, and, and I think, David, there is a lot to be said about, about our industry because we are all often too quick to, to blame the user. Because at the end of the day, any employee, any user doesn't get up in the morning and say, today I'm going to suck at my job. They're not. They're trying to do their job. So, yes, they need to urgently transfer a file somewhere or do a particular type of activity, and the infrastructure doesn't allow them to do that. At the end of the day, they get paid for doing the job, so they're going to try and do it, and they may use insecure services. If the infrastructure is not in place for them to do their job, they will find way around it. That is not malicious. That is, I'm trying to do my job. So I think there's a lot to be said for not only education and training, but also make it easy for the users to be safe. And I think that's an important point, Robbie. You know, we're talking about, in particular, this rapid rate of change over the last couple of years. And the fact is that, that users, whether they're consumers buying things online or users maintaining the systems that enable those payments to take place have been through an enormous amount of change as well, whether it's the tooling that they're using, the processes that they now need to follow. And that also, that gap presents a challenge for organisations and an opportunity for the bad guys. Absolutely. I, I was in uh, the office yesterday and I uh, was looking in a storeroom and there is almost a wall of desktop devices, you know, like base units, mm. where two years ago, basically, you took two thirds of the population in, in the workforce and said, right, you no longer on this thing that is fixed within the boundaries of your office, attached to your corporate network, going through the perimeter security. Here now is a laptop. Take it home and work from home. And interestingly, prior to that, one of the big, big issues was bring your own device. Well, we just went the other side of that and said, well, here is your device. You don't have to bring one. Here's a device, right? Here's a brand new thing. And I, I actually think I heard someone say, We've, we fast forwarded to 2030 and, and that will take a while to digest. And in the meantime, you have, we're all trying to find our points on the page. It, it is doing the day job. It is 
people operating in, let's say, a, a call center environment, but actually they're at home maybe with people they live with in the background and they're trying to do their job in the midst of a brand new social dynamic. And all those things have implications and brand new life cycles that we haven't yet seen the, the end of. Bottom line is our average criminal, cyber criminal here is seeing that as just another way of people are off their guard and, and how can I move, move in? How can I use the person to get to my next point of that exploitation? Because the vast majority, if not all the major data incidents have some form of phishing involved and it's some form of social engineering for validation of processes or understanding of, of, of how things work. Financial services are at the, at the center of it because that's where the gold is. Simple, you know, prior to this digital stuff, it was kick the door down in with the machine guns and everybody on the floor and get us into the vault. Now they're coming into the vault via the network cables and via the people. And so they're expanding the same amount of resources, intelligence, innovation on exploiting the current situation as they would have done in, in setting up a heist. And interesting, one of the things that we have found a lot of the larger companies doing is trying to resonate around their brand, as in our brands under attack. And, and people are very possessive of their brand. If, if they're working for a company, they actually are really proud of working for that organization, as opposed to, you know, fight cybercrime. Well, that sounds like someone else's business, not mine, but protect the brand and, and make sure that we don't let our team down. All those sort of engagement tactics and recognizing that people have a tough job of being alert while they're actually sitting with their washing on, going and answering the door to let the, the, the Amazon guy in. It all feels so home and warmly. And that is what the cyber criminals are exploiting. Now, of course, every industry is under attack one way or another. But I, I, I want to really make sure that we are focused in on financial services here and understand what the, the unique challenges and constraints are that finance, financial services industry faces in protecting itself, protecting its staff, protecting its its customers. How do you start to define those? I think financial services has two problems, and, and, and Nira mentioned it as well. They are heavily regulated, and they do have a lot of technology already. They already had a lot of controls. They already had a lot of systems already. And I think that there is an evolution here for, for financial services, not only in, in, in changing their business model to react to the real change that's happening in the marketplace, but also to deal with this brand new type of hybrid working environment. If you look at a, a, an average bank teller back in the day who got afloat in the morning, they counted themselves in, they sat with their, their 50s, their 20s, their 10s, you know, and, and people came, to, and, and that still happens, right? That still happens. It's inconceivable that somebody would take that float of cash home and at their front door hand out, you know, somebody would do that job at the front door. You just wouldn't conceive of giving them that cash, putting them under that burden, that, that whole worry about, well, what if somebody breaks into the house at night and steals the money? But we're not that far away in terms of what you've given them in terms of an, an electronic device, which actually has access to all the, the banking systems, has access to secure emails and stuff like that. And people are living with, 
you know, not necessarily a family. They might be sharing a house with somebody. You know, you have a whole pile of new threats like uh, shoulder surfing and people accessing devices. And I just think that this is something that is an evolving landscape, evolving not only in terms of the business model changing, but evolving in the fact that two years ago, we had a completely different setup. And I, I actually don't think we're getting back to that norm anytime soon because people were back to now people don't want to have a one hour commute into the center of the city to sit and do this when they've done it perfectly well for two years so huge amount of human issues that are impacting the threat landscape and at the bottom of the the justifications for for doing something is getting an engagement model i think for people finding a way through this that actually meets the banks or the financial services companies' needs whilst at the same time recognising we're not in Kansas anymore, total. But coming back to financial services specifically near, a, I guess, one of the areas in which industries like this do face challenges, constraints, is around regulation, would you say? Definitely around regulation. And Robbie mentioned how heavily regulated uh, is the financial services industry. So so one thing I would say, something I've been saying for, for decades, which is in financial services uniquely, you are faced with this concept that uh, you've got cybercrime and you've got fraud. And these are two sides of the same coin. They are intrinsically linked. So whilst you may be reasonably adept at fighting cybercrime through appropriate, you know, security strategies, technologies, processes, and so on and so forth. Financial crime is a whole different ballgame. So, I mean, very recently, London was dubbed the, the money laundering capital of the world. And I know we mentioned incumbent banks that we feel more secure with them earlier on, Robbie. And if we talk about NatWest, you know, very reputable organization, but NatWest had actually the most humongous fine imposed on them for money laundering failures. And I'm sure you might have seen the video with those black bin bags full of money being, uh, you know, hoisted over. So... Financial crime is a very, very big problem in financial services at large. I mean, during the pandemic, we've seen the, the massive uh, fintech scandal of uh, Wirecard, you know, and how that collapse happened and because of lack of governance, lack of due diligence and so on and so forth. So there is a massive emphasis on governance now in money laundering. And I was reading the news yesterday. There are some uh, advocates of, in fact, also including climate crimes in the money laundering regulation. I didn't quite figure that one out. But over the last two years, we've seen tax crime included in money laundering crimes and so on and so forth. So when you talk about AML, you've got the banks that are in a very, very difficult situation. And I'm sure you've seen uh, Anne Bolden of Starling going on about uh, the, the big techs because it's not something the banks can fight on their own. So you might have great processes, but you will also open accounts. And you may have good due diligence. You may not. A money mule may be somebody completely unaware they are a money mule. Yeah. Or there may be somebody that is completely aware that they are a money mule and that they are committing fraud. And suddenly, when you suffer APP fraud, that money is going to be transferred to a bank. One should ask the question, why did the bank open the account in the first place? Yeah. Didn't they do the appropriate checks? 
And then you've got the other side of things. You've got all the big techs, so Google and the likes, hosting phishing websites. Why are they not regulated? And this is exactly why Anne Boyden has stopped advertising on Google and Facebook, because they're saying they're not even part of the online safety bill in the UK. So on the one hand, you know, the banks are getting hammered, and they should be, rightly so, but big techs are pretty much free to do what they like, and they make their own rules. And I think it's a, it's a whole ecosystem. The dynamics of the ecosystem are, are very difficult to resolve and it's an absolute quandary so uh, you know we may try to do the right thing we may have the good regulations but at the end of the day are we going to be able to do it at the minute i'm not seeing that we're winning the financial crime battle well let's try and turn that coin over and look at the ways in which we can start trying to win that battle or at least trying to play catch up a little bit and and Robbie I, I want to come back to that regulation point because of course while there's lots of regulation in the financial services industry there is regulation about training in that industry as well and the responsibility on the financial services companies to ensure that their staff are as well-trained as they need to be. What's your take on how effective, how well-performant that is at the moment? The training has been there for a long time. And in fact, some of the best training I've seen on AML or cyber came from the incumbent banks. They actually invested heavily in it. If you bring big tech into it, which is really interesting, because I when you bring tech you bring all those new financial services companies and the crypto exchanges and, 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 and all that world. And you have a scenario where the regulators haven't really caught up with reality. And also you have the existing financial services organizations who are trying to battle with that reality on a, on a daily basis, whilst at the same time being heavily regulated. And I think in terms of what can be done, I think in the more agile approach needs to be taken. Because interestingly, with crypto and these things, you also have the, the tax regimes are, are struggling to catch up and deal with them as well. So Agile, I think, is the only way that organizations can actually deal with this. And why I think it's important is that there is going to come a time where you won't be able to trade, you won't be able to do business, if it's found for some reason that your controls and, and the way that you conduct your business is faulty, as in your cyber controls are faulty, you're not implementing KYC to the necessary levels. And therefore, if the regulators take a more agile approach, then really it becomes like a competitive advantage if you can prove that if you deal with us, there's less cybercrime, there's less chance of you being involved in fraud. Because at the end of the day, financial services is about trust. Yeah. And I think the, the combination of agility and the combination of you know good cyber, good compliance practices being a competitive advantage are the two things that you can hang your hat on. It just is a difficult challenge. It, it, it is something that the old ways of you know, bringing people into a room and training them, it's just not going to be a possible given this hybrid working model. And so therefore, I think that really the organizations have to spend more time understanding those journeys that their people are going on, as in, you know, re-plot the day of, of their staff because the old processes and policies are typically not working. And 
you know, the new systems and the new ways that ordinary people work within society has all changed as well. And taking a, a, an agile approach, dealing with what you can deal with at, at that point in time and ignoring the fact that you can't boil the ocean and get it all right quickly. As I said earlier, this is going to take a while for us to, to resolve. And I agree with Nira. At this point in time, the war against cybercrime is not being won. And, and the final thing I would say is you have to feel sorry too for the uh, police who are trying to deal with this issue. You know, things like mules, ordinary people participating in these, whether they know or not, in, in these type of situations, actors being in jurisdictions that they can't reach. And then it's like, how do you trace it in terms of technology, given that your average person has access to encrypted VPNs and stuff like that? So the police services have just an enormous challenge, which again, if you go back to 30 years ago, they chased the van down the street. In America, you had a shootout like in heat and they got the bad guys at the end. This is a brand new scenario. So I think fresh thinking, fresh approaches is, is really needed. And, and I think the only way to, to get a resolve. So agile, hold that thought, Rob, because I want to come back and maybe drill into a little bit more specifically about what that agile approach to training might be. But but Nira, on that point of training, what have you seen when you've been working with financial services bodies, organisations about when training is working well there and when it isn't working well? What observations have, have you made over the years? So David, so I, I recall those many decades ago when the FCA was still called the FSA. Mm-hmm. And I remember being working for banks at the, at, at the time and we knew exactly when the FSA audit was going to happen. So FSA audit is going to happen on such dates. You all need to have completed your CBT training and they chase you literally on a daily basis to complete the damn thing. So what you do, because you have a job to do, is you are not at all engaged with said training. You go through the thing, you tick the boxes, you do the training, you can show the report to the FSA and that's going to be a tick in the box. And that's what used to happen. You do the training because it is, a, it is a regulatory requirement and the FSA is going to audit you. Those that are still doing, ticking the box in terms of uh, education and awareness are going to be left way, way behind. Because where I've seen it work really, really well is when training, education, awareness, and I'm just not talking about formal training. I'm talking about culture as well, awareness, the way people behave. I'm talking about it coming from the top is when it is relevant, topical, and practical for what people are actually doing, as opposed to some esoteric scenario on money laundering or cybercrime, which you really can't relate to because that's not what you do during the day. And I think this is the point, Robbie, I'll come back to you on this point. You talk about more agile training, kind of next generation training as compared to the one-size-fits-all CBT to tick a FSA box however many years ago. So what's your starter for 10 on how cyber training might be better deployed to meet the, I guess we're talking about, is changing needs, evolving needs of this financial services industry? It's changing culture, right? Now, I think in one hand, the situation has been made worse by working from home. On the other hand, 
I don't think anybody can indulge in plausible deniability that the threat landscape has become much, much bigger. So therefore, you, you can't say what happened, what we did before will will continue to work. So a new a new approach is needed. And interestingly, I, I agree with Nira in that you really need that buy-in from the top. And what you're looking for is culture change. You're looking for a brand new way of approaching things, ignoring the tick box compliance, but accepting that compliance is a big, big part of financial services because the whole concept of trust and people giving your mo- giving you your money, you know, you still go and get your passport signed. If you want a new passport signed by a bank manager, because the bank manager is still a person within society of trust and value. So we haven't really moved on in terms of our social mores, but I think that culturally we have to make much, much bigger strides in capturing the mind share of our employees. And that, means taking risks, which means you need air cover from on high. There are so many reasons why you wouldn't put out a particular type of training and training that is compliant with all the regulations, training that everybody is happy with is the most boring training that you're ever going to come across. As in training developed by committee is dreadful and it's the reason why it's failing. And that's why you have to take risks. You have to realize that you have different populations within your organization. So those people that are front of house dealing with customers have a completely different ethos than people that are, you know, tending to your data server rooms. They need different communications. They need different styles. And then this is where our agility comes in. It means that you have to make it relevant, enjoyable even to people that I'm not saying that they would self-select to go, oh, I'm not going to watch Netflix today, but I, I think I, I'll, I'll go and take our compliance training instead. I don't think you're ever going to get to that level. But the bland stuff that we put out in the past, that ain't going to cut it. Given that the stuff that's coming from the uh, cyber criminals is completely without rules, they're bending every process that you have to, to exploit the situation you have to fight fire with fire. And and that's why I think a brand new approach is, is needed. And the, for me, the name of the game is engagement. The, you know, and in the past, when these type of, go back to the FSA, go back to when we're trying to get tick box compliance, it was about getting everybody to t- do the training and tick the box, right? We can't do that now because people are home and it's much more difficult, but the issue is still the same. How do you get as many people participating as you possibly can? It's about engagement. It's about actually getting people to take the training and and then continuing that journey with them. And so there is a requirement to get things out of the road of this because having worked in this industry for a long, long time, it's typically one of the first things to go, be it training, be it policies, be it whatever in terms of controls. It's one of the easiest things for managers to go, do we really have to do this? Do you want me to do this or do you want me to do do that. You know, do you want me to trade or do you want me to actually do this compliance training? The actual fact is you need to do both because that's where we're at. There is no no choice. And I just feel that we will go forward. There will be a loss of trust. There will be more and more high profile breaches. And I mean, my God, over the last 10 years, it's just every week. And there come to a point in time where we have, we'll have a tipping point and it'll go beyond compliance. It, it, it'll have to become 
a part of DNA. And then you have a, a, it as a real board level issue uh, being driven down through the organisation. So this change of, of culture, Nira, that, that we're talking about here, you know, people processes, technology, you can, you know, tr- try and influence those. But unless the culture within an organisation, within an industry perhaps changes, then there's always going to be that threat. But culture change, Nira, that's a difficult thing. That is not a tick box exercise, is it? That takes an awfully, an awful lot of work to make it work. Oh, gosh, absolutely. I mean, having been in, in change management for a very, very long time, uh, I know for a fact that managing any change program uh, and looking at all three aspects of people, process and technology, you can always fix the tech. You can always fix the processes. But if you don't bring the people with you, your program is going to fail. So it's a very, very big issue. That's what takes the longest time. And going back to Robbie's point on the, on training, that's the thing that tends to, to go first. And, uh, and, and we've got the added complexity of nowadays in the world we, we live in, we have the added dimension of necessary speed. So long gone are the day where you're going to develop a curriculum for the year and you're going to spend six months developing said curriculum. By the time you get to deploy it, it's already out of date, but nevertheless, you spend a lot of money doing it, so you're going to put your people through it. In the meantime, in that six months, you've got the fraudless fraudsters that have fig- figured out how to bi- bypass APP fraud control and how to do this and whatever's happening on Google Docs. And you need to communicate there and then when it happens because when that happens and it's do- done and the remedies are known or the safeguards, you need to tell your people, this is happening right now. Beware, this is what you need to do. So, you know, don't worry about the fancy branding and, 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 and whatever else you might have wanted to do in the first place and, uh, and whether it's structured or not. Make it topical, relevant for that particular person, for the job they actually do that might be at threat today. It strikes me that the big, glossy corporate videos that take about a year to make, I used to work on them myself, (laughs) they're they're pretty much going to be left on the top shelf now and something else entirely is required. Those videos may have worked when it was a once a year quick tick the box because the FSA are coming around, but that is not the case anymore, Robbie. How practically do you create training, awareness, content that can be as agile as the criminals that are trying to fight their way into your network? I think that brand still has a big, big part to play in getting people's mind share. They react differently to prompts that are relevant to their job because it's it's a, it's our sense of security. So I think brand has a big, big part to play in, in culture change. I think brand also brings the board with you. The board have long since recognized that the brand is the biggest asset that they that they have. Their own personal brands are related to that. And so they'll go to great lengths to protect it. And I, and I, I feel that's something that in the cybersecurity industry, we've failed to avail of in, in the past. So I think that you have to have the ability to React to the risks that you're facing at that point in time. You know, the threat landscape per company, per country will change depending on, you know, if uh, there is a particular run on 
a, you know, coming up to Christmas, lots of fishing lures and problems around Black Friday. And people, unfortunately, because of the state of mind that they're in, can get caught out. So there's a lot of trends that we can identify, but it's really working out you know, what are the threats that are relevant to me at this point in time? And then, as Nira said, getting that information out quickly to your your organization. And that, it, it is that agile approach that I, that I was specifying because it, it isn't even that, you know, there's a, a campaign over the course of the year. There's typically people go, right, we'll send out this training on, on ransomware and they think they're done. And they go, oh, well, I must do it. Again. I, I must actually remember to send something else out. And, and meanwhile, the organization is on a fuselage of, of, of threats and, and attacks. And I think the other thing then is really looking at your incidents, what, you know, relating the incidents that are coming through from your users, the problems and the near misses that you have and going, mm. you know, we actually had a couple of situations where this happened. Well, we better train people on it because I think a lot of people don't do that. They don't connect up, you know, what's happened in the last 12 months and, and what we're actually trying to get by way of culture change. You have to tie the two things together. And I think that is a big ask for organizations. No one really is is organized in that sense. But I think that's where the real benefits and the real change will come through. We are almost out of time for today, I'm afraid. I've got time for some very quick final takeaways for you both. For any financial services leaders who might be watching, listening today, just to help them make sure they keep their cyber operations as secure as possible. Robbie, first of all, a couple of quick takeaways. Your brand is, in my opinion, your biggest asset in getting customer confidence, but most importantly, getting your employees to get in behind your culture change project. And it takes the whole family in your organization to make that change. It actually is something that it's going to take a long time. So you better dig in. It's a war of attrition. It's at least a 24 month initiative. So it it goes beyond, you know, the sometimes a tenure of, of executives and battens have to be handed from one set of, of management to another, but it has to start being part of your DNA. And that starts from the top, that starts from the board and taking, you know, full and uh, responsible actions to make sure that people don't have the option of thinking, well, this is another corporate fad. This is part and parcel of how we do business in the same way as working from home is now part and parcel of how we do business. Because you'll find that the average person is actually reasonably resilient. And we're used to change. I mean, we've had to be used to change in the last two years. So yeah, I I, I think that buy-in and engagement is the key. Super. Nira, takeaway thoughts from you on uh, making sure that financial services leaders are doing the best they can for their organization here? I would say understand your people and what they do and make it easy for them to be safe and deploy multi-factor authentication everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, strong advice there. Thank you very much indeed, Inira. We are in the red 
for time today, I'm afraid. Thank you both very much indeed. Nira, where can people find out more about what you do and maybe hear some more of your words of wisdom? Oh, they can certainly follow me, uh, connect with me on LinkedIn, follow me on Twitter or Instagram. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm quite verbose when it comes to social media. <laughs> <laughs> I do all three of those things, and you are certainly a very good follow. Uh, and Robbie, I take it your cybersecurity for dummies book has got something to say about keeping your organisation yes. uh, protected, especially from rapidly changing threats. Yes, it's a playbook for uh, changing culture in your organisation. And I think it's a handbook for colleagues, a handbook for other execs to say, this is what we're trying to actually achieve. So it saves a lot of that explanations. And also follow meta compliance um, on social media. Some of our stuff can be quite humorous and is all part of trying to engage with users and get people excited and interested in the whole area of cybersecurity and data protection. Well, thank you both for engaging today. Thank you very much, Nira. Great to talk to you. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. And you too, Robbie. Good to chat again. Thanks, David. Thanks, Nira. See you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. See you all next time. Bye-bye for now.